Okay, hello, welcome to episode 109 of Sack King's Therapy. Um, in this episode, it is going to be me again. Um, unfortunately, Fong has uh, kind of adopted the Brock Lesnar Goldberg schedule. He is unfortunately just going to be very busy and uh, not going to be able to show up for this um, for this podcast. And he's going to periodically drop in whenever he feels like. Hopefully it's not, you know, twice a year or once a year. Or maybe he just randomly comes out of nowhere for like a landmark episode. Um, hopefully he will be back soon. Um, no guarantees, but yeah, for now, uh, it's going to just be me again. And uh, in this episode, we're going to kind of go over just some lineups of the Kings. And of course, the uh, NBA schedule was released. Um, and of course, with it, the Kings' uh, NBA schedule for next season, 2021-2022 season. Now, of course, when I first looked at it, I mean, nothing really caught my eye originally, just because Kings don't really have a rivalry. Like, you know, I guess like what our main rival for a long time was the Lakers, but we're nowhere near the Lakers' level. Uh, the Warriors, we're, nowhere, we're not really near their level either. And I don't can't really think of a rivalry. So nothing really stuck out to me in terms of the schedule. That was until I listened to D'Lo and KC, or, you know, specifically D'Lo, because KC was off last week. Uh, the first four matchups um, of the Kings' um, season, I'm not including preseason, by the way. So the first game is uh, against Portland um, with Damian Lillard, Utah with Donovan Mitchell, Golden State with Steph Curry, and Phoenix with CP3. Now, if you... Now, if you kind of kept track, all four of those teams I just named, you know, I named a point guard on the team. Now, the reason why I that really caught my ears when um, D'Lo said, although I think he did just straight up like mention why these four games stick out, all four of these teams have an elite point guard. Now, we just went through a summer league where D Davion Mitchell basically dominated on defense, like specifically like on point guard position where he completely shut down Peyton Pritchard. He shut down like just any guy that he was guarding. He They even had him guarding like wings like Zaire Williams and uh, James Booknight. So the big question coming out of summer league is that, I, I guess for Davion Mitchell, is he going to be able to contribute um, on the main roster kings on defense. That, that's one of the things we're wondering if that translates. And, you know, I'm on the side of, like, it's going to translate. But these first four games are going to be the test. It is going to be a gauntlet of elite point guards. And I, I'm going to I'm gonna assume, like, you know, Davion's going to find his way into the rotation for, uh, for these games. And, you know, he's going to end up guarding Dame. He's going to be end up... He's going to end up guarding Donovan, Steph, and CP3 in these games. And it's going to, we're going to find out real quick just how real this defense is. And yeah, and if the Kings really have upgraded on defense, like, you know, you, you listen to Jason Jones, you listen to James Ham, like, this roster is overall better, even though there is a lot of the same players coming back. But, like, you know, you have like Mo Harkless coming back. You have, you know, of course, Rashad Holmes coming back. Uh, you who else? Um, Terrence Davis, um, Chemezi Metsu, and Damian Jones. These guys are better defenders than what we originally had in the 
uh, start of the season. You know, as much as I love him, like, you know, Corey Joseph, like he tried to play defense, but like the team defense just was so bad that he unfortunately just couldn't play any defense because he would force like the guy, his guy into the help. And guess what? It's the Kings' defense, so there is no help. Um, I'm just going to call that forcing it into the invisible man, I guess. Uh, the why I call it that, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll come up with, a, with an explanation later on. But you know, Corey Joseph, like, tried to play defense, just couldn't. Hassan Whiteside, very much immobile, like, just camped near the paint. Like, he did get some nice blocks every now and then, but come on, come on let's be honest. He, he wasn't exactly good when he was out there. Um, and who, who else? Um, and Bielitsa. Like, Bielitsa, as much as I, like, you know, his offense is amazing. His defense, I don't think, is as bad as, like, it seemed on the Kings. Although, you know, a guy I respect, Dave DeFore, like, says he's a good defender. I call bullshit on that just because, like, I don't think he's a good defender by any means. He's a decent team defender, yes. He has long arms, knows where to be. Uh, you know, when he was on when he was on the Kings, he was like the guy getting hunted at, at certain moments when he played. When he did play, and the reason why I bring those three guys up, like those three guys, like just just didn't have it on defense. But uh, you know, in their place this year, you're gonna have you know Damian Jones. You're gonna have uh, who else? I guess Tristan Thompson if he stays if he stays on the Kings. I don't know what his status is gonna be. Uh, you and in. Uh, Corey Joseph's place, you have, you know, Davion. You're going to even easily slot him into that spot. And you have Terrence Davis as well. And who who else am I missing? Who did I mention? Damn it. Yeah, Bielitsa. Be you have Mo Harkless in that place instead. And Mo Harkless, like, not as good offensively as Bielitsa, but definitely a lot better defensively. So this is a better overall defensive club going in. And again, these first four games are going to be the gauntlet. And, you know, again, we're going to find out real quick. Like, is Davion the real deal on defense? Because I listened to uh, Basketball Buds on The Athletic. I mean, you know, Black Trey does not believe in the three-guard lineup. And I'll, I'll kind of get into that. And But, like, you know, th those guys don't really believe in the three-guard lineup. Just think it's too small and they're going to get cooked on the defense, defensive end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over why I tend to kind of disagree with that. And anyway, well, let's get into it right now. So the three-guard lineup. What is the three-guard lineup? The three-guard lineup is going to, that most likely will close some games. I anticipate it will, just because I think Davion is that good. So that lineup is basically um, Davion, Fox, and Halliburton. Now, first thing most people think of, and, you know, rightfully so, that's a very tiny three-guard lineup. Like, Davion is 6'1", maybe 6'2", if you're being generous. Uh, and Fox is maybe 6'3". And Halliburton is... Uh, well, I've read 6'5", but some places I've listed 6'7". Maybe he grew? Like, I, I don't think he's 6'7", but he has long arms. Um, so, like, that's, pr that's a pretty small lineup. And while Tyrese can guard wings, he is... You know, he did add 10 pounds of muscle, but he is really skinny. And I just don't think he'll be ready to really guard wings just yet. But the the idea of that being kind of, I guess, a gimmicky lineup or a lineup that won't work. I, th this is how, this is how I would counter. Th there's two points I would like to go, I guess, like to put out. So we ran a, we our closing lineup for most games last year was, um, Let's see, Harrison Barnes at the four, Rashawn Holmes at the 
at the five, Buddy Heald at the three, De'Aaron Fox at the one, and Tyrese Halliburton at the two. That was our pretty much our closing lineup. That was the that is the second most played lineup, only behind the starters with uh, Bagley in place of uh, Tyrese. And like that three guard lineup, or you know that small lineup, actually had a really good offensive rating, but you know a pretty bad op- defensive rating at one twelve. I mean they did have a, they do have a seven point six net rating. But like they did let teams score, but guess what? They outscored a lot of teams in that lineup. And the reason why I bring up that lineup is, you know, Buddy Heald is the guy you probably take out of that. You most likely will take out of that lineup just because, like, you know, you got to find a spot for Davion if you for defense. And you know, Buddy Heald was fine for the most part during these lineups. But like, you know, if if you want like defense, that's what that's the guy you kind of take out. Unfortunately for Buddy. And another, and the reason why I bring it up is because, like this lineup, with uh, you know, if you remove Buddy Heald as the weak link, you know, you move him, replace him with Davion. It's hard for me to envision that, you know, whoever Buddy can guard, like I envision Davion being able to guard that person, like whether it's a wing or like a or like a point guard. You know, you're hiding, you know, um. You're hiding Buddy on someone in that lineup just because he is the weakest defender, and you know in set in that stead, like you maybe can hide Tyrese on the weakest defender and have him as you know a ve- he's a very good help defender and, or De'Aaron Fox so he can kind of rest on that end so that he can uh so that he can um save more energy for the offensive end. But the po- again the point I'm trying to make is that you I think you can easily slot uh. Avion into that role and you wouldn't lose you wouldn't lose much at all because like I remember I do kind of remember like Buddy not doing much in this lineup to be honest like like the first thing you think is like oh he's probably providing spacing uh as a shooter and maybe he's like knocking down shots I don't remember him knocking down shots um like during these line during this lineup in the fourth quarter you he's always one of those guys that will be five for six from three in like the first half and end up like six of 12 because in the second half, just because, you know, t- the defense tightens up and he can't really overcome it. And he struggles to kind of na- hit shots when guys are a bit more keyed in on him. And, you know, d- if, and if you say like, well, if you put, if you pull out buddy, like that's going to, you're going to lose a lot of spacing. Right. I mean, Davion, one thing he has seemingly proven, he's a legit three point shooter. Like, I mean, this is not the greatest like sign, but like he did shoot better from three that than the free throw line in the summer league. Actually, let me just quickly check it just in case. I don't want to be giving out wrong information and look really stupid. Not that you should ever uh, see me as a genius by any means, but you know, I, I want to be. I want to actually, you know, not give out you know wrong information if you will. How do I check? How do I check stats in summer? League? Let's check this. Mitchell. Okay, so there's no stats here. That's great. Okay, I'm just going to straight up Google it. I try to go on ESPN to do it. Let's see. Summer League stats. So he shot 47% on three-pointers. That's pretty crazy. Let's see. might actually help 
there we go. Davion Mitchell. Let's see. Where's the free throw percentage? Free throw percentage is here. Let's see. This is, why is this so weirdly confusing? Yes, he did. So he shot 55 percent, 55.6% from the free throw line and 47% from three. Now, of course, you know, it's not greater than you know his uh free throw percentage, but the point is he shot really well from three. And for whatever reason, just cannot. Uh, California Classic. Oh, God! What am I? What am I doing? Man, I'm on something right now. Let's see. Taylor Auburn. They don't. Man, they don't track it, do they? Damn it! I was looking at summer league. Let's see, forty-seven percent and twenty. Jesus Christ, twenty-eight percent. My God. No way. Really? So here, here it's saying that he shot 28.6% from the free throw line and 47% from three. Okay, well, you know, that's beside the point. He's not good at shooting free throws, but he is very good at uh, shooting threes. And I, you know, just judging from the sample size, like that's a pretty good percentage over five games. And, you know, he was shot well from three in the California Classic as well. You know, 47% again. <laughs> so, like, you plug Davion into, into that lineup uh, in place of Buddy Heald, you're not losing that much spacing because I think Davion is going to be a legit shooter. And you're, they're going to have to guard him anyways. And then, of course, you add, in the, you add in the part where he will lock, you will very likely lock up on whoever he's guarding. Like, get all up on his guy. Like, that's a... I think he can easily replace Buddy Heald in that lineup. Uh, what's the so the other point I wanted to bring up, and is the idea of you know De'Aaron Fox I mentioned on the last episode I think is a much better defensive player than he's getting credit for. He just has to carry such a huge load on offense that he just simply doesn't have the energy to play defense most of the time. At least that's how I like to see it. Like there were so I, I remember there were so many episodes where me and Fong were complaining about De'Aaron not taking over on defense. But the reality is he has to carry he he has to carry the load of the offense, being the only true creator on the team. And like you only like LeBron James has proven it, like particularly in the playoffs, that one man cannot simply not shoulder that big of a load. It's simply too much, and. Yeah, he simply didn't have energy to play defense at all really last year, and which doesn't really excuse how bad he was on that end at, at certain points. But like you can if you can like you know lessen the load a little bit, and I think Davion, like as another ball handler in that lineup, and you know, whenever he's playing, like he can probably like fill in, you know, pretty respectably for Fox as the primary ball handler and kind of primary playmaker. And you know, Tyrese can help with that too. You can lessen the load on Fox. Fox has more energy on defense, and he has shown signs of be of possibly being a great defender. And I think you know if he's if they're able to kind of lessen that load on him as an offensive player, and he has more energy on defense, like he can probably guard up on wings and reliably guard twos. You can stick him on, you know, maybe a wing that's too big for Davion, like, and you know he can do some stuff there. Or maybe you can just put him on the second best perimeter guy on their on their team, and you know he could he, he maybe could do a good job. Like there are stretches of him guarding Devin Booker pretty well, and you know Devin Booker was very nice last year, especially in the finals. 
like you know there's a lot i think like if davion can kind of just you know inspire the team to play better defense and lessen the load on on De'Aaron and yeah of course inspire De'Aaron to play better defense as well that's a really good defensive lineup and you know if you stick to Halliburton on the third best perimeter player on the team most teams don't have that good of don't have that good of a lineup where they have three great perimeter creators and I think Tyrese can hold his own on whoever the third best perimeter perimeter player is and you know of course as i mentioned earlier he can be in that help to, in the help position like you know just like gam not gambling like baiting guys into steals and just playing that kind of center fielder role and then of course like barnes and holmes can hold their own on that end despite you know rel- being relatively small but they held up pretty well for the most part last year and like during during like the regular course of the game like during the first three quarters like now they now the team has like a little bit more depth so that you know they the team doesn't always have to guard essentially be small at every position like they'll kings will have to figure out an option at four like it, it look, it's looking more and more like marvin's gonna stay on this team and it looks and you know you can put marvin the four for like sh- for like long stretches and during the first three quarters and maybe it's even start the fourth quarter and you know you can you can close with the small ball lineup with Barnes at the four, and you know Rashawn now has if there are like really big players that he simply cannot handle, say a Jokic or like you know a Vucevic, a uh, who's that other guy, uh, Valanciunas, like for example, um, you know Embiid, like you can stick Alex Len on him for like at least a stretch, and hopefully he can hold up there just because like Alex Len is bigger. And, you know, Damian Jones can probably do some stuff on that end, too. Like, and my point is, like, the, one of the big things last year was, you know, the, having to guard up, essentially be small at every position. It really wore down on uh, Rashawn, uh, Barnes, and, you know, De'Aaron to, a certain, De'Aaron to a certain degree. Like, you know, they can save their bodies a little bit by just having a, having a backup that can, you know, absorb some of those minutes and kind of, like, give him a little bit more energy to close with that small ball lineup so that would be my two points the the fact that we ran buddy at the three last year you can slot davion into that role and the fact that you know De'Aaron, like i think has another gear defensively to unlock and i think that's gonna be really big for um for the kings to improve on defense and I think I think they're going to be more surprising than a lot of people think, but we'll have to see if they can keep it up. The, the issue, a lot of the issue last year was we started out really well playing some damn good defense. Remember the first game uh, against the Nuggets, like De'Aaron had that chase down block that basically saved the game and ultimately led to you know us stealing that game, us basically in, in Denver. So you know, ho- hopefully, like the defense can kind of fix itself. Or, you know, like, is a lot better next year. Because even with the worst defense in NBA history, we were still right there in, in, in the play-in tournament. And if you can just, like, get the defense, like Jason Josie says, if you can just get the defense to, like, top 20, like, maybe, like, rank 19th in the league, like, you, you're probably going to, you're most likely going to be in the playoffs. And if you can, of course, that's going to assume that they're going to be able to keep, like, at a, have a, uh, very good 
uh, offensive rating as well. Because like last year, we were top 10 in offense, which was surprising, even though we only had one creator on the team in De'Aaron Fox for much of the year. Like, you know, I, I think good things are looking, I think things are looking up. And we're going to be, I'm going to be very interested uh, just going forward. Like, again, can De'Aaron, like, you know, <clears throat> dedicate more effort on offense or on defense, I mean, and can, and can Davion, like, really change the defensive culture of the Kings? Another question that I have with Davion um, is, I do wonder. Like, it, I'm not as I'm not like you know too big on him being able to shut down point guards like you know like Dame, Steph, CP3, and Donovan Mitchell. Like, you can't shut those guys down. They those guys are transcendent offensive players, and they will get what they're gonna get. The, the only thing you can do is make it as hard as possible on on him. What I am interested in with Davion, and this could be a game changer, is can he guard wings? I'm more interested in his ability to possibly be able to guard a guy like, say, Tobias Harris, uh, a guy like, um, what's his face on the Memphis? Uh, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is one of the most annoying players the Kings ever play against because he always has a big game because the Kings just let guys get to their spots like at, at will. And a guy like Dylan Brooks, can can he kind of like lock up on those guys? Um, who's another one? Maybe like a Kelly Oubre. Like the, the idea is that, like in the summer league anyway, they they put Davion on Zaire Williams and Zaire. Of course, this was one of the things that kind of came up. As same thing with Book Knight during like their draft analysis. These guys are not very. These guys need to work on their handle. And boy, did Davion expose them on that end because these guys were scared to dribble around them. Because like just that's one of the things about being tiny is that you're you can get up on taller guys and they are not willing to they're not able to dribble like you know anywhere near you one of the best defenders of all time against kevin durant is tony allen 6-4 tony allen and uh 6-5 andre Iguodala because they, them being like smaller but being so crazy quick long and just the great just such a quick twitch on defense like made Kevin Durant like literally scared to dribble around them, and, and like, and that's what I hope that Davion can really do against you know good wings. Like again, a guy like Tobias Harris, a guy who's a good, who's a very good offensive player, but like you know, if, if a guy just gets up on them, like put really puts the pressure on them, does that like kind of limit their aggressiveness and just like some of their com comfortability on the offensive end? That's what I'm more interested in, and I think that's actually an even bigger game changer than you know Davion being able to guard point guards because, like, I think I just think like if he's able to do that, like, talk about inspiring your teammates on offense. Like, like they had De'Aaron on Tobias Harris for stretches last year, and like he did an okay job, but like because like they they're not willing to put. Um, Fox on him to start like I think they put Harrison on him and he did an okay job but the issue was when you put a Corey Joseph on them they get comfortable and you know you put for God forbid you put you get Buddy on Tobias Harris these guys just get real comfortable and they get real hot and like by the time De'Aaron De gets to them like they are just feeling it and they just shoot over De'Aaron like I'm hoping that you know a guy like again Davion can like 
at least have an effect on that end. Like put, like essentially put put a stamp on the game, like saying that we're not going to get punked and bullied on defense anymore. We'll have to see. Uh, I think that's an even bigger key, as I said, than um, Davion being able to lock down uh, point guards. Um, another thing I kind of quickly want to go over Davion. Davion, um, <clears throat> why does it see? I'm reading my notes right now. Oh, it's autocorrect. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I had a misspelling on my notes and it confused me. Sorry about that. So, uh, interesting story I heard on The Ringer. Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they just keep throwing out um, Davion stories. And one of the interesting things about Davion, um, someone asked him why he's so aggressive on defense, why he's just like, you know, why he's so aggressive on that end and takes pr- so much pride on defense. Apparently, he did an interview where he basically said he got lit up by Colin Sexton when he was at when uh, Davion was at Auburn and uh, uh, Sexton was on Alabama, I think. Yeah, Alabama. And apparently he just got lit up. I I forgot what the exact number was, but like like Sexton went, went off for like 40 points or something like that. And that was basically the moment Davion decided to take it personal. And ever since then... He's, he's, you know, always reading the scouting reports and always takes it personally when someone is able to blow by him. And, uh, yeah, I just, these stories keep popping up. And, you know, I love to hear these things because it's another one of those guys that has the dog mentality. And, again, I, I think that's going to bring a different level of intensity uh, to this year's Kings. Just like, the you know, again, the... the the mentality to take it personally, I think it's going to be infectious. And he's going to inspire other guys to play better defense. It's going to make, like, it's going to make Rashawn's home, Rashawn's uh, job a little easier on the defensive end. When, you know, when if Davion can keep the, his guy in front of him, Rashawn doesn't have to help as much. And his man isn't all, always open all the time. And he doesn't, like, you know, give away his position down low and let the, uh, let the opposing center get down for offensive rebounds. Like, I think, I think this is going to, I think, uh, just shit, sorry, we're flubbing my words right now, but I'm really excited for this upcoming season, although I am cautiously uh, optimistic just because I was burned uh, th- during Luke Walton's first year. Like, you know, you, you win 39 games in Jaegers last year, and you think that the team can only go up from there because, oh, they replaced uh, Willie Cauley-Stein with Dwayne Denton, they they got some backcourt depth with Corey Joseph, and then they fall flat on their face in the first five games of the season, and that just kills all the hope you have in the world. And I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think Davion is really going to be a game changer for the Kings. Okay, well, that's it for the Kings and basketball section. Uh, we're gonna actually, I'm gonna actually move on to uh, the wrestling portion of the podcast. Um, I, I, I said were, but Bong is not here, um, unfortunately. So it will just be me talking to you about this. But we did have a huge week of wrestling on Friday. AEW Rampage, CM Punk returned to wrestling, and. That you know, full disclosure, you know, I don't hate on me for this. Not the biggest like CM Punk fan. Like, 
and you know, don't don't kill me for this, but like, I I kind of stopped watching like during his championship run. Like I was there for the pipe bomb. Like that was amazing, and he really like changed wrestling from that day, and uh, brought brought back brought back a lot of fans with that pipe bomb promo in 2011. But like I stopped watching around there. I remember I don't remember like exactly when, but I do remember like. I think I stopped watching before the Shield debut was specifically like where I stopped watching, and ever since then he's become this kind of this, I guess this figure, who you know this fabled guy, the the one guy that basically will never return to WWE, the you know the symbol, the cultural icon of anti WWE sentiment, and just how they fuck up like their. Like how fucked up their entire like wrestling processes, how they hold wrestlers down, they and just kind of pigeonhole them into certain roles and just holding them back from achieving what they actually can. And like he's and you know like uh, crowds will chant his name like specifically to spite WWE bad booking, like you know CM Punk chants, although sometimes annoying. Like it, it is the it is the symbol of anti WWE sentiment and you know bullshit booking decisions and just awful like t- television that is produced by WWE. And my thing was with him like for a long time, of course, b- because I missed like much of Punk's uh, WWE title reign. Like I honestly, I haven't bothered to even re- go back and watch a lot of his in-ring work. But the the idea of him coming back, like always, was here's the one big pop, and then what? Like I, I'm like I would like I was always gonna be excited for his return, but you know after that, like you gotta watch him wrestle, and maybe and you know of course again I haven't watched him wrestle in a long time. I don't know if he's still good in the ring, and I don't honestly. I don't even know if he is good in the ring. I've heard good things about him. Like, I just, I like, I'm, I will, like, the pop would be great, and the pop was amazing on AEW Rampage. Like, as soon as a cult of personality hit, you hear the entire, the entire arena just go off. I was watching a Wrestle Talks reactions. Ollie Davis straight up cried like tears of joy, like a grown man just speechless and crying. It is, it is incredible. Like what he means to th- that type of fan, like the the fan that was about to get if, that was about to, if not already given up on WWE, breathing b- life back into their fandom. Like he means a lot to a, a huge population of the uh, of the wrestling fan base, and I get it, I get that part. I just like I've always thought like he, there, there's the huge pop, and then what? <laughs> But, well, what it is is going to be, he's going to be wrestling Darby Allen, uh, I think, at All Out? Whatever the next pay-per-view is. And, you know, like, again, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind about CM Punk. Like, it, like is he is he still good in the ring? We'll have to see. And, uh, yeah, I'm, re- it, I'm really excited for, you know, just, you know, CM Punk coming back. But, you know, I'm not going to front. Like, I'm not, I've never really been the biggest fan of him. And, you know, he's not the nicest guy in the world. Like, and it's understandable. I'm not, like, knocking him for not being nice to people. Like, you deal, like, you're you're a famous person dealing with a lot of fanboys and honestly idiots a lot of the time. Like, I get it. But, you know, not the nicest person. And honestly, he came, him coming back on backstage kind of soured me a little bit. I, I'm, I don't take his UFC 
I don't take his UFC career into any sort of consideration, just because that's a whole different sport. Doesn't doesn't really damage him in in the wrestling world. But him coming back on backstage was such a limp, I guess, like return, and I I felt killed a lot of momentum in my eyes from him, and honestly, kind of tainted his name a little bit. But you know. Of course, for much for that fan base that I'm talking about, like they were so happy to see him back, and it did not matter. So, you know, glad to have him back, and hopefully, like he can actually bring like a certain portion of the fan base back because it feels like like so much of the wrestling fan base is dying off, and he can be one of those hooks that brings everyone that brings a lot of people back, and you know, he's gonna bring a lot of people into onto AEW, and. You know, I think it's going to be even a. I think it's. Well, I have to see. I don't think it's going to be a bigger, like, deal than Punk. But like when Daniel Bryan debuts, like that's also going to be really big. I'm actually really looking forward to Daniel Bryan, uh, uh coming cu- coming to AEW, which is still pretty crazy to me. He was in the WrestleMania main event. I picked him to win that main event, and now he's, and now he's going to go to AEW. Like the I remember back in the day, like the reason why I started watching TNA. I saw Kurt Angle on TNA in what is I think in 06 or 07. Like I think he's gonna be kind of Kurt Angle uh, on Impact for for, uh, for me anyway. I mean I already uh, follow AEW for the most part and but like that that's what I mean. He's he's like that level of star and like man AEW is just scrapping up so many of these guys that like essentially WWE is just kind of like either given up on or just let slip from their hands and. Like, how much money does Tony Khan have? He is signing up everyone, and there's a rumor that Bray Wyatt might be on his way too. Although that's not that's not confirmed yet. That's definitely not confirmed yet. So don't take my word on that. And hell, even Adam Cole <laughs> might be heading heading to a uh, AEW soon too. Oh God, let me clear my throat. I've had a bad cough. Okay. Hopefully, it's nothing serious. Hopefully, a good uh, gulp of water kind of solves that. Well, unfortunately, kind of on the other side of that uh, is WWE SummerSlam. It was on a Saturday, uh, which was weird. Um, so I guess big news coming out of it. Uh, Becky Lynch came back. Squash Bianca Belair apparently has turned heel, uh, from according to reports. But like, a lot of people were mad because, like, the way that Bianca was essentially buried. I think Bianca will bounce back. She's they're they're going to they're not just gonna like toss her to the side or anything. But like, man, the way that she lost, like, that was deflating. Like, honestly, really stupid. Like, one punch and a rock bottom was all it took to pin our, your your dominant champ from since WrestleMania. Like, and also like you, you gotta you gotta talk about the fact like they basically false falsely advertised up to that moment that Sasha Banks was going to wrestle and then just pull the kind of pull the quick one. Uh, of course they they had Carmella and then and then basically to kind of deflate the crowd and then inject it with life when uh, Becky came back and uh, yeah and then that happened. And my uh, the way I took it was like I don't. Like seeing as how like Sasha was kind of a last minute, like last minute pullout. Uh, I think Becky just wasn't ready to wrestle yet, <laughs> and like she's being called up, she's be- being called up early just so like you know the fans can kind of go home happy. But they didn't just because she squashed Bianca Belair. Like I mean, 
how, how do you fuck up a Becky Lynch return? And I mean, like, to be fair, like, Roman came back last year at SummerSlam and turned heel, and it was amazing. Becky Lynch as a heel probably will be amazing too, but like, man, like that was deflating. And uh, yeah, I felt I felt a lot of the crowd. Jason Jones was pissed. Like I think KC was pissed as well. Like a lot of people were up in arms, even though it is Becky, and Becky has so much like you know goodwill from the fans right now. Just like just coming back and you know like being such a big star before she left. You know, <laughs> unfortunate it had to come at Bianca's expense. I, I guess the other news is Brock Lesnar is back. Uh, yeah, um, I honestly, I don't have that many thoughts about it. I mean, it's nice that, that he's back. I guess he's facing Roman at Saudi Arabia. They, they announced the show on, um, at SummerSlam and, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully they have a better match than last time. I will say like the story that they originally told, I think at WrestleMania 34, I think basically like, I thought that was a great story between them. Like, Roman versus Brock. And then, like, you know, Roman kicking out of however many F5s. And then, basically, uh, Lesnar breaking... Kind of, like, busting out the elbows. Elbowing elbowing him. Busting him open. Although, I think it was fake blood. Because, fuck, that was a lot of blood. Like, you know, that was a great story. Unfortunately, I could never watch that match back. Because the fans just shitted on that that match so much that it actually ruined the match that's one of the areas where i f find fans a bit insufferable like you i don't know how much money these idiots pay for those seats but why would you pay something to deliberately not enjoy it like sometimes i guess just sit for the ride like i know like anti-roman sentiment was at was kind of at its peak at that point but like you know I thought I thought it was a good story in WrestleMania 34, and you know maybe they can run something like that. Like I think, and you know with Roman being a heel now, he's a much more interesting character, and you know he he's not being shoved down our throats anymore as much. At least it doesn't feel like it, and you know he's actually over now. So maybe this time it'll be different, and you know it's gonna be kind of weird with a face Brock, but we'll see how that goes. It couldn't really care for it, but. Um, yeah, another thing, uh, just, I hate, I hate Goldberg matches now. I, I can't stand them. Like, it's just, anytime he's on the screen, I'm just, I kind of tune out immediately and skip forward. Uh, by the way, Fong actually watched this match live and basically said it, he really didn't like it. And I just laughed at him because he wasted two hours. I, and instead of doing the way I do it, just watch the replay and just skip the important, just skip the boring parts and go to the important matches and moments. That's just the way I like to do it. I like to save some time because, for honestly, much of the show was pretty shit. Uh, Edge and Rollins was really good though. That was a great match. I love that match. Um, and that's it for SummerSlam. Uh, one more match I like to quickly go over: uh, Ilya Dragunov versus Walter at NXT Takeover 36. Like, if you guys didn't watch their first uh, WWE match, I don't even remember what Takeover it was. I guess just Google uh, Walter versus Ilya Dragunov Takeover. Uh, I forgot the name, but basically it was an empty arena match, and it was one of the most brutal matches I had ever seen. Like, without any kind of, like, blading or, like, blood involved. Although, Dragunov was, at, I think, like, spitting out blood by the end of it. But, basically, that match, like, 
they slapped the shit. They beat the shit out of each other. Like, how do you make wrestling look real and make make strikes look hurt, look like they hurt like hell by actually smacking the shit out of each other? And that's what they did. And it was an incredible match that had me wincing the entire time. Like Dave Meltzer and everyone that saw it has been has since said like that was the, one of the best matches of 2020. And it's unfortunate that not a lot of people see it because it's on NXT UK and not a lot of people watch it. But, you know, seeing the rematch uh, at NXT TakeOver 36, like, it wasn't as brutal as the first match, but I'm actually having, a, like, kind of a hard time deciding which one was better. Because Ilya Dragunov, just that British style of wrestling, again, smacking the ever-loving shit out of each other, the kind of never-say-die kind of vibe that Ilya Dragunov gives off, like, as, as kind of this psychopath baby face that just like will never stay down like they built an incredible match where walter beat the shit out of uh elia and and elia slapped the shit out of walter too walter chops are the some of the are the greatest thing in wrestling and it, it was just a hard-hitting match and it ended with uh a pretty brutal looking sleeper like where it almost looked like Ilya Dragunov like cranked uh, Walter's neck and head and neck and Walter ends up tapping out and yeah it was like there. I, I'll say this there's not a lot of matches that I watch in full without like skipping forward like this was a match that I watch the entire thing although I, I did skip through some kind of rest spots where like you know the double down some of the double downs just to kind of speed up the process but like NXT UK has some has truly has some of the best hidden gems in wrestling in WWE for sure. Like I would love to see some sort of Walter versus someone on the main roster, like Walter versus Keith Lee, Walter versus Brock Lesnar. Oh, I would love to see that match. Walter versus John Cena would be interesting too. Like just Walter versus anyone, Ilya Dragunov versus Brock Lesnar, like. These guys are so good at wrestling, and it's unfortunate that they're stuck in NXT UK. Like, I love Tyler Bate, too. Tyler Bate is another guy that's um, really, really amazing. Like, I think it was TakeOver Cardiff. Him versus Walter was probably one of my favorite matches of all time. Like, again, the Never Say Die babyface against this giant, you know, <laughs> sadistic monster in, in Walter. who's an amazing wrestler, an amazing seller, and just gets wrestling. Yeah, Ilya Dragunov versus Walter was awesome. And if you guys have time, watch that first match that they had at NXT at NXT UK, and uh, and of course this one. Okay, well that's it for you know recapping most of the week of wrestling. Uh, CM Punk is back. Uh, SummerSlam was pretty eh, but like Takeover, like NXT Takeover will always be good. And hopefully, like with this new era of nxt which apparently like vince is basically taking over i think was the not the report but it's the vibe that I'm, I'm getting from like the reports uh and they're gonna have a rebranding of nxt hopefully like they still can produce shows like takeover like because takeovers are fucking amazing and they they have suffered so much without the crowd and it's and it's unfortunate that takeover 36 didn't happen in an arena 
because like man that would have been a, if it was going to be the swan song and I, hopefully this is not the swan song of you know this version of nxt but like oh man it, it, like it's gonna make me it's gonna make me kind of like look back like if this is the true like last kind of this kind of nxt like i should have been in an arena man with those rabid hardcore uk fans man all right well that's it for this uh episode hopefully uh i can come with another episode later in the week i know i have i know i've only posting once a week just because i've been i've been busy fong's been busy like we'll, we'll see if anything happens of course if, if like a big trade happens uh with the kings or like some sort of big earth-shattering trade with ben simmons or pascal siakam or dame lillard I mean, we, we got, I mean, I got to do a pod and hopefully like Fong is there with me. If he can find time to stop being Brock Lesnar and just, you know, you know, there's only so much money I can wire him, you know, to come, to come do the show. So yeah. Um, like, yeah, I'll try and produce another show by the end of the week. We'll have to see if there's, if I can come up with something to talk about. If not, uh, I'll see you next week. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and leave a rating if you like. I'm going to put our, my, our, our email in the uh, description and uh, I'm going to have Fong put in timestamps a little bit in a little bit as well. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you or I'll or maybe we'll catch you on the next episode.